Volume One, Chapter Twelve of Vixen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vixen by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Volume One, Chapter Twelve. I have no wrong where i can claim no right going home again that was hard to bear it reopened all the old wounds while a tempest felt as if her heart must really break as if this new grief were sharper than the old one when the carriage drove in through the familiar gates in the december dusk and along the winding shrubbery road and up to the tudor porch where the lion of the tempest stood with lifted paw and backwards gaze above the stone shield the ruddy firelight was shining across the wide doorway the old hearth looked as cheerful as of old and there stood the empty chair beside it that had been vixen's particular wish let nothing be disturbed dear mamma she said ever so many times when her mother was writing her orders to the housekeeper beg them to keep everything just as it was in papa's time my dear it'll only make you grieve more yes but i had rather grieve for him than forget him i am more afraid of forgetting him than of grieving too much for him said vixen and now as she stood on the hearth after her journey wrapped in black fur a little black fur took crowning her ruddy gold hair fancy filled the empty chair as she gazed at it yes she could see her father sitting there in his hunting clothes his whip across his knee the old pointer the squire's favourite came whining to her feet how old he looked old and broken and infirm as if from much sorrow poor nip poor nip she said patting him the joy of your life went with papa didn't it it's all very sad murmured mrs tempest loosening her wraps a sad sad homecoming and it seems only yesterday that i came here as a bride did i ever tell you about my travelling dress violet it was a short silk they were fashionable then you know bronze and blue the loveliest combination of colour i can't imagine a short silk being anything but detestable said vixen curtly poor nip how faithful dogs are the dear thing is actually crying tears were indeed running from the poor old eyes as the pointer's head lay in vixen's lap as if memory kindled by her image brought back the past too keenly for that honest canine heart it's very mournful said mrs tempest pauline let us have a cup of tea she sank into an armchair opposite the fire not the squire's old carved oak chair with its tawny leather cushions that must indeed be sacred evermore a memento of the dead standing beside the hearth revered as the image of an honoured ancestor in a roman citizen's home i wonder if anyone is alive that we knew here said vixen 
lying back in her low chair and idly caressing the dogs my dear violet why should people be dead we have only been away two years no but it seems so long i hardly expect to see any of the old faces he is not here with a sudden choking sob why should all be left except him the workings of the providence are full of mystery sighed the widow dear edward how handsome he looked the day he brought me home and he was a noble-looking man to the last not more than two spoonfuls of peco pauline you ought to know how i like it by this time this to the handmaiden who was making the tea at the gypsy table in front of the fire the table at which vixen and rory had drank tea so merrily on that young man's birthday after tea mother and daughter went the round of the house how familiar how dear how strange how sad all things looked the faithful servants had done their duty everything was in its place the last room they entered was the squire's study here were all his favourite books the sporting magazine from its commencement in the crimson morocco nimrod and the druid ashton smith's memoirs and many others of the same class books on farming and ferrary on dogs and guns here were the squire's guns and whips a motley collection all neatly arranged by his own hands the servants had done nothing but keep them free from dust there by the low and cosy fireplace with its tiled hearth stood the capacious crimson morocco chair in which the master of the abbey house had been wont to sit when he held audience with his colonel huntsman or gamekeeper his farm bailiff or stud groom mamma i should like you to lock the door of this room and keep the key so that no one may ever come here said vixen my dear that is just the way to prolong your grief but i will do it if you like do dear mamma or if you will let me keep the key i will come in and dust the room every day it would be a pleasure for me a mournful one perhaps but still a pleasure mrs tempest had no objection and when they left the room vixen locked the door and put the key in her pocket christmas was close at hand the saddest time for such a homecoming vixen thought the gardeners brought in their barrows of holly and fir and laurel but vixen would take no part in the decoration of hall and the corridors staircase and gallery she who in former years had been so active in the labour the humble inhabitants of the village rejoiced in the return of the family or the great house and vixen was pleased to see the kind faces again the old men and women the rosy-cheeked children and careworn mothers withered and wrinkled before their time with manifold anxieties she had a friendly word for every one and gifts for all home was sweet to her after two years absence despite the cloud of sadness that overhung all things she went out to the stables and made friends with the old horses which had been out at grass all through the summer and had enjoyed a paradise of rest for the last two years slug and crawler mrs tempest's carriage horses sleek even-minded bays had been at brighton and so had vixen's beautiful thoroughbred and a handsome brown for the groom 
but all the rest had stayed in hampshire not one had been sold though the stud was a wasteful and useless one for a widow and her daughter there was bullfinch the hunter squire tempest had ridden in his last hour of life violet went into his box and caressed him and fed him and cried over him with bitterest tears this homecoming brought back old sorrow by the overwhelming force she ran out of the stables to hide her tears and ran up to her own room and abandoned herself to her grief almost as utterly as she had done on those dark days when her father's corpse was lying in the house there was no friendly miss mccourt now to be fuzzy and anxious and to interpose herself between violet tempest and her grief violet was supposed to be finished or in other words to know everything under the sun which a young lady of good birth and ample fortune can be required to know everything in this case consisted of a smattering of french italian and german a dubious recollection of main facts in modern history hazy images of shenacherib helen of troy semiramis cyrus the battle of marathon romulus and remus the murder of julius caesar and the loves of antony and cleopatra flitting dimly outward the cloudy background of an unmapped ancient world a few vague notions about astronomy some foggy ideas upon the constitution of plants and flowers seaweeds and shells rocks and hills and a general indifference for all literature except poetry and novels miss mccork having done her duty conscientiously after her lights had now gone to finish three other young ladies the motherless daughters of an anglo-indian colonel over whom she was to exercise maternal authority and guidance in a tall narrow house in madavale she had left mrs tempest with all honours and violet had lavished gifts upon her at parting feeling fonder of her governess in the last week of their association than at any other period of her tutelage to-day in her sorrow it was a grief to violet to find herself free from the futile consolations of friendship she flung herself into the armchair by the fire and sobbed out her grief oh kindest dearest best of fathers she cried what is womb without you and then she remembered that awful day of the funeral when roderick vaudrey had sat with her beside this earth and had tried to comfort her and remembered how she had heard his voice as a sound far away a sound that had no meaning that was the last time she had seen him i don't suppose i thanked him for his pity or his kindness she thought he must have gone away thinking me cold and ungrateful but i was like a creature at the bottom of some dark dismal pit how could i feel thankful to someone looking down at me and talking to me from the free happy world at the top her sobs ceased gradually she dried her tears and that unconscious pleasure in life which is a part of innocent youth came slowly back she looked round the room in which so much of her childhood had been spent a room full of her own fancies and caprices a room whose prettiness had been brought with her own money and was for the most part the work of her own hands in spite of home sorrowful association she was glad to find herself at home mountains and lakes and sunny bays and dark pathless forests may be ever so good to see but there is something sweet in our return 
to the familiar rooms of home some pleasure in being shut snugly within four walls surrounded by one's own belongings the wood fire burnt merrily and sparkled on the many-coloured pots and pans upon the panelled wall here an etruscan vase of india red there a moorish water-jar of vivid amber outside the deep mullioned windows the winter blast was blowing with occasional spurs of flying snow argus crept in presently and stretched himself at full length upon the fleecy rug vixen lay back in her low chair musing idly in the glow of fire and by the by the lips which had been convulsed with grief parted in a smile the lovely brown eyes shone with happy memories she was thinking of her old playfellow and friend rory i wonder if he will come to-day she mused i think he will he's sure to be at home for the hunting yes he will come to-day what will he be like i wonder handsomer than he was two years ago no that could hardly be he's quite a man now three-and-twenty i must not laugh at him any more the thought of his coming thrilled her with the new joy she seemed to have been living in artificial life in the two years of her absence to have been changed in her very self by change of surroundings it was almost as if the old vixen had been sent into an enchanted sleep while some other young lady a model of propriety and good manners went round the world in vixen shape her life had been made up more or less of trifles and foolishness with a background of grand scenery tepid little friendships with agreeable fellow-travellers at nice tepid little friendships of the same order in switzerland well-dressed young people smiling at each other and delighting in each other's company and parting probably for ever without a pang but now she had come back to the friends the horses the dogs the rooms the gardens the fields the forests of the youth and was going to be real vixen again the wild thoughtless high-spirited girl whom squire tempest and all the peasantry round about had loved i have been ridiculously well behaved she said to herself quite a second edition of mamma but now i am back in the forest my good manners may go hang my foot's on my native hearth and my name is macgregor somehow in all her thoughts of home after that burst of grief for her dead father roderick Vaudrey was the central figure he filled the gap cruel death had made would rory come soon to see her would he be very glad to have her at home again what would he think of her would he fancy her changed for the worse for the better i wonder whether he would like my good manners or the original vixen best she speculated the morning wore on and still while a tempest sat idly by fire she had made up her mind that roderick would come to see her at once she was sufficiently aware of her own importance to feel sure that the fact of her returning had been duly chronicled in the local papers he would come to-day before luncheon perhaps and they three mamma rory and herself would sit at the round table in the library the snug warm room where they had so often sat with papa this thought brought back the bitterness of her loss 
i can bear it better if rory is with us she thought and he is almost sure to come he would not be so unkind as to delay bidding welcome to such poor lonely creatures as mamma and i she looked at her little watch a miniature hunter in case of a black enamel with monogram and diamonds one of her father's last gifts it was one o'clock already and luncheon would be at half past only half an hour for rory she thought the minute hand crept slowly to half hour the luncheon gong sounded below and there had been no announcement of mr wardray he may be downstairs with mamma all this time thought vixen forbes would not tell me unless he was sent she went downstairs and met forbes in the hall oh if you please ma'am mrs tempest does not feel equal to coming down to luncheon she will take a wing of chicken in her own room and i don't feel equal to sitting in the library alone forbes said violet so you may tell phoebe to bring me a cup of tea and a biscuit has nobody called this morning no ma'am vixen went back to her room out of spirits and out of temper it was unkind of rory cold neglectful heartless if he had come home after an absence of two years absence under such sad circumstances how anxious i should be to see him she thought but i don't suppose there is frost enough to stop the hunting and i dare say he is tearing across the heather on some big raw-boned horse and not giving me a thought or perhaps he is dancing attendance upon lady mabel but no i don't think he cares much for that kind of a thing she moved about the room a little rearranging things that were already arranged exactly as she had left them two years ago she opened a book and flung it aside tried the piano which sounded muffled and woolly my poor little broadwood is no better for being out at grass she said she went to one of the windows and stood there looking out expecting every instant to see a dog-cart with a rakish horse a wasp-like body and high red wheels spin round the curve of the shrubbery she stood thus for a long time as she had done on the wet october afternoon of rory's homecoming but no rakish horse came swinging round the curve of the carriage drive the flying snow drifted past the window the winter sky looked blue and clear between the brief showers the tall feathery fir trees and straight slim cypresses stood up against the afternoon light and vixen gazed at them with angry eyes full of resentment against roderick wardray the ground is too hard for the scent to lie well that's one comfort she reflected savagely and then she thought of the dear old kennels given over to a new master the hounds whose names and idiosyncrasies she had known as well as as if they had been human acquaintances she had lost all interest in them now Porto and gellert lightfoot juno ringlet lord drundrary they had forgotten her no doubt here was someone at last but not the one for whom she was watching a figure clothed in a long loose black cloak and a slouched felt hat and carrying a weedy umbrella trudged sturdily around the curve and came briskly towards the porch it was mr scobel the incumbent of the pretty little gothic church in the village a church like a toy he was a good man and a benevolent 
this mr scobel a hard worker and a blessing in the neighbourhood but just at this moment violet tempest did not feel grateful to him for coming what does he want she thought blankets and coals and things i suppose she turned suddenly from the window and went back to her seat by the fire she threw on a log and gave herself up to disappointment the blue winter sky had changed to grey the light was fading behind the feathery fir tops perhaps he will come to afternoon tea she thought and then with a discontented shrug of her shoulders no he is not coming at all if he cared about us he would have been the first to bid us welcome knowing as he must how miserable it was for me to come home at all without papa she sat looking at the fire how idle i am she mused and poor crocky did so implore me to go on with my education and read good useful books and enlarge my mind i don't think my poor little mind could bear any more stretching or that i should be much happier if i knew all about central africa and the nearest way from hindustan to china or old red sandstone and tertiary and the rest of them what does it matter to me what the earth is made of if i cannot be happy upon it no i shall never try to be highly cultivated young woman i shall read byron and tennyson and wordsworth and keats and bulwer and dickens and thackeray and remain an enormous all the days of my life i think that would be quite enough for rory if he and i were to be much together for i don't believe he ever opens a book at all and what would be the use of talking to him about old red sandstone or the centre of africa phoebe miss tempest's fresh-faced hampshire maid appeared at this moment oh if you please miss your ma says you should go to the drawing-room mr scobel is with her and would like to see you violet rose with a sigh is my hair awfully untidy phoebe i think i had better arrange the plates miss that means i am an object it's four o'clock i may as well change my dress for dinner i suppose i must go down to dinner though yes miss it will never do to shut yourself up in your room and fret you are as pale as their christmas roses already ten minutes later vixen went down to the drawing-room looking very stately in her black irish poplin whose heavy folds became the tall full figure and whose dense blackness set off the ivory skin and warm auburn air she had given just one passing glance at herself in the cheval glass and vanity had whispered perhaps rory would have thought me improved but he had not taken the trouble to come and see i might be honeycombed by smallpox or bald from the effects of typhus for aught he cares the drawing-room was all aglow with blazing logs and the sky outside the windows looking the pale and grey when violet went in mrs tempest was in her favourite armchair by fire tennyson's latest poems on the velvet-coloured gypsy table at her side in company with large black fan and a smelting bottle mr scobel was sitting in a low chair on the side of the hearth with his knees almost up to his chin and his trousers wrinkled up ever so far above his stout oxford shoes leaving a considerable interval of grey stocking he was a man of about thirty pale and unpretending of aspect he fortified his native modesty with a pair of large binoculars which interposed a kind of barrier between himself and the outer world 
he rose as violet came towards him and turned the binoculars upon her glittering in the glow of fire how tall you have grown he cried when they had shaken hands and how here he stopped with a nervous little laugh i really don't think i should have known you if we had met elsewhere perhaps dory would hardly know me thought vixen how are all the poor people she asked when mr scobel had resumed his seat and was placidly caressing his knees and blinking or seeming to blink at the fire with his binoculars oh poor souls he sighed there had been a great deal of sickness and distress and want of work yes a very great deal the winter began early and we had some severe weather james parsons is in prison again for rabbit snaring i am really afraid james is incorrigible mrs roper's eldest son tom i dare say you remember tom an idle little ruffian who was always bird-nesting has managed to get himself run over by a pair of lord allan govan's wagon horses and now lady allan govan is keeping the whole family an aunt came from salisbury to sit up with the boy and was quite angry because lady allan govan did not pay her for nursing him that's the worst of the poor said mrs tempest languidly the firelight playing upon her diamond rings as she took her fan from the velvet table and slowly unfolded it to protect her cheek from the glare they are never satisfied isn't it odd they are not cried vixen coming suddenly out of a deep reverie when they have everything that can make life delightful i don't know about everything violet but really when they have such nice cottages as your dear papa built for them so well drained and ventilated they ought to be more contented what a comfort a good drainage and ventilation must be when there is no bread in the larder said violet my dear it is ridiculous to talk in that way just in the style of horrid radical newspapers i am sure the poor have immense deal done for them look at mr scobel is he not always trying to help them i do what i can said the clergyman modestly but i only wish it were more an income of sixteen shillings a week for a family of seven requires a good deal of eking out if it were not for the assistance i get here and in one or two other directions things would be very bad in beechdale beechdale was the name of a village nearest the abbey house the village to which belonged mr scobel's tall church of course we must have the usual distribution of blanket and wearing apparel on christmas eve said mrs tempest it will seem very sad without my dear husband but we came home before christmas on purpose how good of you it was very sad last year when the poor people came up to the hall to receive your gifts and there were no familiar faces except the servants there were a good many tears shed over last year's blankets i assure you poor dear things sighed mrs tempest not making it clear whether she meant the blankets or the recipients thereof violet said nothing after a little ironical protest about the poor she sat opposite the fire between her mother and mrs scobel but at some distance from both the ruddy light glowed over her ruddy hair and lit up her pale cheeks and shone in her brilliant eyes the incumbent of beechdale thought he had never seen anything so lovely 
she was like a painted window a madonna with the glowing colour of rubens the divine grace of raphael and those little speeches about the poor had warmed his heart he was violet's friend and champion from that moment mrs tempest fanned herself listlessly i wish forbes would bring the tea she said shall i ring mamma no dear they have not finished tea in the housekeeper's room perhaps forbes doesn't like to be disturbed is there any news mr scobel we only came home yesterday evening and have seen no one news well no i think not much lady allen govan has got new orchid and there has been a new baby too hasn't there oh yes but nobody talks about the baby and everybody is in raptures with the little orchid what is it like rather a fine boy i christened him last week i mean the orchid oh something really magnificent a brilliant blue a butterfly shaped blossom that positively looks as if it were alive they say lord allan govan gave five hundred guineas for it people come from the other side of the country to see it i think you are all orchid mad exclaimed mrs tempest oh here comes the tea as forbes entered with the old silver tray and fancy cups and saucers you'll take some of course mr scobel i cannot understand this rage for orchids old china or silver or lace i can understand but orchids things that require no end of trouble to keep them alive and which i dare say are as common as buttercups and daisies in the savage places where they grow there is lady jane wardray now a perfect slave to orchid houses violet's face flamed crimson in this mention of lady jane not for worlds would she have asked a question about her old playfellow though she was dying to hear about him happily no one saw that sudden blush or passed for a reflection of the fire-glow poor lady jane sighed the incumbent beechdale looking very solemn she has gone to a land in which there are fairer flowers than ever grew on the banks of amazon what do you mean surely you have heard nothing exclaimed mrs tempest i have corresponded with nobody but my housekeeper while i have been away i am a rich correspondent at the best of times and after edward's death i was too weary too depressed to write letters what is the matter with lady jane wardray she died at florence last november of bronchitis she was very ill last winter and had to be taken for canes for the early part of the year but she came back in april quite well and strong as every one supposed and spent the summer at briarwood her doctors told her however that she was not to risk another winter in england so in september she went to italy taking lady mabel with her and roderick inquired vixen he went with them of course naturally replied mr scobel mr wardray was with his mother till the last very nice of him murmured mrs tempest approvingly for in a general way i don't think they got on too well together lady jane was rather dictatorial and now i suppose roderick will marry his cousin as soon as he is out of mourning why would you suppose so mamma exclaimed violet it is quite a mistake of yours about their being engaged roderick told me so himself 
he was not engaged to lady mabel he had not the least idea of marrying her he has altered his mind since then i conclude said mr scobel cheerily those binoculars of his could never have seen through the stone wall or were not much good at seeing things under his nose for it is quite a settled thing that mr wardray and lady mabel are to be married it will be a splendid match for him and will make him the largest landowner in the forest for ashbourne is settled on lady mabel the duke bought it himself and you know it is not in the entail added the incumbent explaining a fact that was as familiar as the church catechism to violet who sat looking straight at the fire holding her head high as queen guinea after she had thrown the diamonds out of window i always knew that it would be so said mrs tempest with the air of a sage lady jane had set her heart upon it worldly greatness was her idol poor thing it is sad to think of her being snatched away from everything what has become of the orchids lady jane left them to her niece they are building houses to receive them at ashburn rather a waste of money isn't it suggested violet in a cold hard voice why not let them stay at briarwood with lady mabel as mistress there mr scobel did not enter into this discussion he sat serenely gazing at the fire and sipping his tea enjoying this hour of rest and warmth after a long day's fatigue and hard weather he had an advent service at seven o'clock that evening and would but just have time to tramp home through the winter dark and take a hurried meal before he ran across to his neat little vestry and shuffled on his supplies while mrs scobel played her plaintive voluntary on the twenty guinea harmonium and where is young watery now inquired mrs tempest blandly she could only think of the squire of briarwood as the lad from eton clumsy shy given to breaking teacups and leaving the track of his footsteps in clay or mud upon the obscene carpets he has not come home yet the duke and duchess went to florence just before lady jane's death and i believe mr watery is with them in rome briarwood has been shut since september didn't i tell you mamma that somebody would be dead cried violet i felt when we came into this house yesterday evening that everything in our life has changed i should hardly think mourning can be very becoming to lady mabel ruminated mrs tempest those small slip-like figures rarely look well in black mr scobel rose with an effort to make his adieu the delicious warmth of wood-fire the perfume of arbutus locks had made him sleepy you will come to see our new school i hope he said to violet as they shook hands you and your dear mamma have contributed so largely to its erection that you have a right to be critical but i really think you would be pleased we'll come to-morrow afternoon if it is fine said mrs tempest graciously you must bring mrs scobel to dinner at seven and then we can talk over all we have seen you are very kind i have my young women's scripture class at quarter past eight but if you'll let me run away for an hour certainly i can come back for mrs scobel thanks we shall be delighted when he was gone violet walked towards the door without a word to her mother violet are you going away again please stop child let us have a chat i have nothing to talk about mamma nonsense 
you have quite deserted me since we came home and do you suppose i don't feel dull and depressed as well as you it is not dutiful conduct violet i shall really have to engage a companion if you go on so miss mcbrook was dreary but she was not altogether uncompanionable one could talk to her you had better have a companion mamma someone who will be lively and talk pleasantly about nothing particular all day long no doubt a well-trained companion can do that she has an inexhaustible wellspring of twaddle in her own mind i feel as if i never could be cheerful again we had better have stopped at brighton i hate brighton where we knew so many nice people i detest nice people violet do you know that you have an abominable temper i know that i am made up of wickedness answered vixen vehemently she left the room without another word and went straight to her den upstairs not to throw herself on the ground and abandon herself to a childish unreasoning grief as she had done on the night of roderick's coming of age but to face the situation boldly she walked up and down the dim firelit room thinking of what she had just heard what does it matter to me why should i be so angry she asked herself we were never more than friends and playfellows and i think that on the whole i rather disliked him i know i was seldom civil to him he was papa's favourite i should have hardly tolerated him but for that she felt relieved at having settled this point in her mind yet there was a dull blank sense of loss a vague aching in her troubled heart which she could not get rid of easily she walked to and fro to and fro while the fire faded out and pale windows darkened i hate myself for being vexed about this she said clasping her hands above her head with a vehemence that showed the intensity of her vexation could i i violet tempest ever be so despicable a creature as to care for a man who does not care for me to be angry sorry broken-hearted because a man does not want me for his wife for such a thing is not possible if it were i think i would kill myself i should be ashamed to live i could not look human beings in the face i should take poison or turn roman catholic and go into a convent where i should never see a face of a man again no i am not such an odious creature i have no regard for rory except as my old playfellow and when he comes home i will walk straight up to him and give him my hand and congratulate him heartily on his approaching marriage perhaps lady mabel will ask me to be one of her bridesmaids she will have a round dozen i dare say six in pink and six in blue no doubt like wax dolls at charity fair why can't people be married without making complete idiots of themselves the half-hour gong sounded at this moment and vixen ran down to the drawing-room where the candles and lamps were lighted and where there was plenty of light literature lying about to distract the troubled mind violet came to her mother's chair and knelt beside it dear mamma forgive me for being cross just now she said gently i was out of spirits i will try to be better company in the future so that you may not be obliged to engage a companion my dear i don't wonder at you were feeling low-spirited replied mrs tempest graciously this place is horribly dull 
how we endured it even during your dear papa's time is no more than i can understand it is like living on the ground floor of one of the egyptian pyramids we must really get some nice people about us or we shall both go melancholy mad end of volume 1 chapter 12 recording by lambda